You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Uh, next year. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been to a circus before, and you kind of see elephants that are kind of tethered, or they're kind of tied or chained to uh, a stake in the ground. And you may not realize it, but that um, stake is really only about 18 inches long, and that elephant could eat just pull that stake up because at some point um, someone has to pull that stake up again to free the elephant uh, to you know pack up and to move on and again the, the question is is if a human being can pull that stake up why is it that a, a fully grown huge elephant um, cannot pull that stake out of the ground and free himself well When that elephant was little, when that elephant was a baby, that elephant did not have the strength to be able to pull that stake out of the ground. And and it would try time and time again, and the elephant would come to the conclusion after repeated attempts of trying to pull that out, they couldn't get it out, and so it was never coming out. So in circuses all over the world, you will find there are these massive elephants capable of lifting entire trees out of the ground by their roots, held captive by a very puny stake. The same is true with us. When we get into sinful patterns, when we get into addictions, when we kind of get into mindsets or despair or poverty, fear, worry, anxiety, you know, anxiousness, on and on and on, All the while, Jesus is right there, and we're trying to free ourselves from that, and no matter how hard we try to do it on our own, we'll never free ourselves, but Jesus is there to free us from the things that keep us kind of bound and imprisoned and enslaved. And today I wanna talk about a story in John chapter four. It's a story about a man who kinda just came to the end of himself, kind of came to the end of his rope, came to the end of the road and decided he was going to try something that maybe he had never tried before and he was going to just trust and believe. And we find that he kind of said these three words, Lord, I believe in response to Jesus and his life is totally transformed and he is able to receive a healing for his son. And just by faith, just going from darkness to light, from blindness to sight, from weakness to might, from wrong to right, in that process, this man learns and he shares with us one of the greatest lessons we could ever learn on how to walk through the valley of the shadow of disaster, despair, and even death, and come out of that other side victorious. And through this man's encounter with Jesus, and we're gonna talk about his story, we learn three things about just trusting in God. First thing we learn is when grief strikes, turn to God. When grief comes, we just turn to God. John 4, 46 is where this particular story is found. And there it says, so Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee where he had made the water wine. That was his first miracle. 
And he's back again. And as he's there, it says, there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, again, there's a 25-mile distance between Canaan and Capernaum. So this man had traveled a distance to come to find and to see Jesus. And when this nobleman heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went into him, to Jesus, and implored him to come down and heal his son, for his son was at the point of death. Now, this man is called a nobleman. It's, 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 a, it's a position, it's a status. The word comes from the Greek. It's, it's a word that gives us the, the, the word kingdom, and it literally means, noble mean, means a king's man. So this man is an officer of the court of Herod. He is a man of prominence. He is a man who holds a great and a key position and he had money and he had influence in some of the highest places. But he had a problem. He had a son and this son is at the point of death. Now, I'm sure given this man's title, I'm sure given his access, I'm sure that this man spared no expense in trying to resolve this issue with his son. I'm sure he hired the finest doctors. I'm sure he probably brought in the most expensive medicines. And all the while, no matter what he did, he's just watching as life is kind of just slowly fading away and flowing out of his son. And for the first time, this man maybe comes to the realization how little money really means, how little money can really ultimately do because money can keep poverty from your door, but it can never keep problems from your life. This nobleman learned that there are some things money will never buy. There are some things money will never satisfy. And the same holds true for you and me. There are just some things money will never satisfy. There's just some things money will never, ever buy. Money can buy a degree, but it can't buy wisdom. It can buy sex, but it can't buy love. It can buy people, but it can't buy relationships. It can buy influence, but it can't buy respect. It can buy a house, but it can't buy a home. It can buy pleasure, but it can never buy peace. Money can take you almost anywhere except to heaven and buy you almost anything except joy, peace, and contentment. But I want you to see that it was trouble, it was tragedy that really brought this man ultimately to Jesus. It was a dying son that really brought this man to a divine savior. And it's interesting because it really kind of took this experience of grief and if it had not been for this grief, this man may have never, ever encountered or experienced grace. If it hadn't been for the tragedy that this man found himself in, he may have never, ever experienced the triumph that was about to come. Now, again, understand God didn't cause the tragedy. He is using the tragedy as a means, again, to work his grace and his goodness into the life of this man. And God wants to do the same for us. God can take our hopeless situations and circumstances, and God can bring the absolute best out of them. 
So often when trouble comes and, and we get angry, we kind of become distrusting towards God. We kind of become distant and we want to start asking God questions like, why did you allow this tragedy to come into my life? I thought you were loving. I thought you were gracious. Where are you? Well, I believe most times troubles, tragedies, and difficulties that come into our life, God is not the author of that. God is not the cause of that. He is not the reason. But yet God is committed, able, and fully willing to use those troubles, those tragedies, those circumstances to bring forth his goodness, his hope, and blessings. And oftentimes, one blessing God can bring out of our troubles, tragedies, and difficulties is that it brings us closer to him. I heard about a little old lady who was deathly ill in the hospital and her doctor came in and said, Mrs. Smith, I've done all I can do. Now you're just gonna have to trust the Lord. The woman screamed out loud and said, dear God, am I that sick? Sometimes it takes situations that are beyond the realm of human assistance to move us to a place where all we have left is to turn to him and trust him. And once we make that transition to faith and trust in God, what you're gonna discover is it's all you really needed. Again, God doesn't need and he doesn't want us to experience sickness and disease. He doesn't want you to experience the loss of a job, the premature death of a child, the dissolution of a marriage of, um, uh, to draw us closer to him. But again, God is willing, he is able, he is committed to taking all of that and more as a means to work his goodness, his favor, his pleasure into our lives. And this father in John chapter four, he comes to Jesus and he is literally begging. The word that we saw there was implored, but it's, he's literally begging Jesus to come to his home and heal his son. And again, to all of us, that would seem like a very normal request. But notice how Jesus responds to him in verse 48. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to Jesus, sir, come down before my child dies. You kind of look at Jesus' response and it, 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 it kind of seems almost cold. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of doesn't seem like uh, it, it, it should follow uh, the pattern of the conversation. And, and it seems like at first, maybe the nobleman doesn't really kind of get at what Jesus is saying. And he's kind of said, I don't understand what you just said. Please just come and heal my son and we can talk about that later. But what you really kind of begin to understand as you look at the story, Jesus isn't just speaking to, he's not just dealing with this man. He's dealing with a crowd of people who have gathered around this man, who, who know what's going on. They, they see what is happening. And, and so Jesus' response is not just to this man. Jesus is responding to the multitude that is gathered. And this crowd of people were full of people who were miracle mongers and sign seekers. 
They were not interested in salvation. They were looking for the signs and the wonders. They didn't care about worship. All they wanted to see was wonders. The world is really no different today than it was back in Jesus's day. People today still flock to the fabulous. All of us are addicted to the awe. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people will flock to places like Toronto, Lakewood, Florida, to see people healed, to see people slain in the spirit, to see people laughing in the spirit, you know, to see gold dust falling, gold fillings, to see God moving in big and, and mighty and miraculous ways. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, most of those same people won't cross the street to simply hear someone preach the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, to see people get saved, to get delivered, to get set right with God. And one of the things we often overlook are the miracles of grace are just as powerful, just as wonderful as the miracles of glory. The miracles of God's grace are just as miraculous, just as wonderful as the miracles of his glory. Again, I'm not belittling those things or those people or those places. Please don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to make the point that just as many people in this day and age are just as addicted to the signs, the wonders, the awe as they were in Jesus's day. Now suppose that you, know, that, that you come and you hear about a man who's shot in the chest, he's mortally wounded, and you know that this man only has a few precious moments of life left. Now suppose someone could come and heal him. They could lay their hands upon this man. They could stop the blood flow. They could close up the wound. They could miraculously uh, dissolve the bullet that's in this man and, and that this man would not die, but that he would actually rise up and walk. All of us would probably love to see it. We would pay to see it and we would probably be willing to drive a long distance to witness something like that. But let's assume this same man's lost. He's an unbeliever. And if he were to die, he was gonna spend an eternity in hell, in hell separated from God. Now suppose on the other hand, in the last minute of that man's life, Someone doesn't heal him, but somebody is able to share the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be able to share the good news of the gospel, that this man is able to go from darkness into light to become born again. Let me ask you, which one of those situations is better? Yeah, it would be better, it would be more desirable to see this man saved than for this man to be healed. Now let me ask you this question, which one would you rather see? What would you rather see? Me? Man, I, I, I wanna see the wonder. I wanna see the miraculous. I wanna see the incredible. 
Again, there are people who will drive 100 miles, spare no expense to see a person miraculously healed who won't walk three feet to see a person miraculously saved. So this is what Jesus is doing. In the midst of everything that's going on with this nobleman, with this crowd, Jesus is using this as an opportunity to speak to and to address a much larger issue. And he's using this as an opportunity to point out to something to those who have gathered in that multitude, and it is this. Jesus is saying, you don't need a sign, you need a savior. You don't need a miracle, you need a master. Some of you this morning, you don't need a sign, you need a savior. I was kind of challenged with this whole concept. A lot of you that, that are, are born again, if I were to ask you when you were saved, some of you would point back to 20, 30 years ago, and you would say, you know what, that's when I was saved. Can, can I tell you, that is not the only time you needed to be saved? That word salvation, it, 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 it's a very, very interesting word. I think Schofield is the one that kind of called it the all-inclusive word of the Bible. Because Schofield uh, believed, and, 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 and Greek, um, if you could look that word salvation up in the Greek dictionary, what it really means is, is salvation means healing, it means peace, it means deliverance. Um, it means salvation, um, and, and that is, it, it is also kind of um, a word um, that is, in, in the tense, it's a continuous effect word. So it, it, it's not that, that um, I was saved, it's that I am being saved, and I will need to be saved in the future. And so for a lot of us, we kind of think of that word saved as I was saved 30 years ago, and that's all the saving. I, no, 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 no. That word means that, that we were, there, there's salvation in the past, there's salvation in the present, there's salvation in the future. We needed a savior in the past, we need a savior today, and we're gonna need a savior in the future. Some of us, we needed, we needed to be saved back then, we need to be saved today, and we're gonna need to be saved again in the future. Some of you may have been healed 20 years ago. Some of you, you may need to be healed today. Some of us, we're gonna need to be healed in the future. That, that, that's the beauty of that word. You may have been delivered you know, a, a week ago. You're gonna need to be delivered probably today and you're gonna need to be delivered in the future. It, it, again, it's that all-inclusive word. I was kind of impressed as, as, as Callie was speaking, and, and a lot of times uh, we kind of just have this idea um, that somehow God op operates in, in, in time. Now, I don't have time to explain this, but I just need you to understand God is not bound and God does not operate in time. We do. We think, we live in, in time. There, there's yesterday, there's today, there's tomorrow. I want you to understand God always lives in the eternal here and now. God doesn't think past tense, present tense, future tense. God always is. 
God is fully, always, completely, absolutely present in every moment. Sometimes we kind of think, well, you know, maybe God will be more willing tomorrow. No. God doesn't think like that. God is fully, completely, absolutely, totally willing now. He's not going to be more willing tomorrow than he is now. God is not, some of you kind of think, well, you know, maybe, maybe God will heal me tomorrow. No, 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 no. God doesn't, God's not thinking that way. God's focus, God's purpose, God's plan for your life is he wants to heal you now, in this moment. Some of you think, well, I think maybe God might be in a better mood tomorrow. And I'll ask God to forgive that sin tomorrow. No, 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 no. God is not going to be any more forgiving tomorrow than he is right now in this moment. That's why the scripture says the day of salvation, the day of forgiveness, the day of healing, the day of deliverance is now. Because this is where God is. And God is fully in this moment. And God is completely able. God is completely willing. You will never, ever outgrow your need for a savior. Some of you need to hear this. You will never, ever outgrow your need for a savior. You have been saved. Some of you need to be saved today. And, and, and I'm not just, I'm not speaking in, 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 uh, in you know, the, the born again. Some of you just may need to be saved from just some really stupid things that you're thinking about or that you're wanting to do today. Some of us just need to be saved from just some really bad decisions. And, and, and we're gonna need to be saved in the future. You'll never, ever outgrow your need for a savior. That's why uh, Jesus is, 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 has saved, will, uh, is saving now, and will save into the future. We will never, ever outgrow our need for a savior. And God is never ever going to be more fully present or willing or able than he is right now. Amen? Amen. I, I think this is kind of part of what Jesus is driving toward here. You don't need a sign. What you really need is a savior. You don't need a miracle. What you really need is a master. See, you can believe in miracles without believing in the master. You can believe in signs and never know the savior. This nobleman's core problem and what Jesus is trying to get to in this story is that Jesus was more interested in this man's salvation than in this man's need for a sign for a miracle. This nobleman was more interested in what Jesus could do for him than what Jesus could do in him. And I'm gonna tell you what, God is always more interested in what he can do in you than what he can do for you. When, when God is, 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 is fully released in you, what God does for you is the overflow. It's the icing on the cake. Some of us, we wanna be healed, but we don't wanna be saved. 
your healing is temporal. Your salvation, your eternal, your 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 salvation, your, your uh, that's that's eternal. Second thing we learn from the story, man. Oh, I'm out of time. When Scott, God speaks, believe in God. Now, what Jesus wanted this man to do. Um, he wanted this, this man wanted Jesus to do it this way, and, and Jesus just said, no, I'm gonna do it this way. Uh, oftentimes, what God does, he does in ways we do not think or expect um, him to do. This man wanted Jesus to come to his house, lay hands on his son, and heal him. And, and evidently, he, he kind of thinks that maybe Jesus kind of has a healing range. He's got to be within a certain distance uh, to be able uh, to, to, to get close enough to do it. But what he did not understand is with Jesus' distance is no, no issue. Jesus' power, his ability to heal is not limited by time and space. God's ability to heal you, to deliver you, to, to, to save you is never, ever bound or limited by time or space. But Jesus refused to come, and the reason was this. He was more interested in his father's salvation than he was the son's sickness. The greater issue to Jesus was this man's salvation, not his son's sickness. I want you to know God is more concerned with your faith, God is more concerned with your holiness, God is more concerned with your righteousness than he is your riches. He is more concerned with your faith than your finances. And I'm not saying that, that they didn't care about your finances, he does, but he cares about your faith. And, and he wants to do what he needs to do to develop uh, and to enrich your faith before he'll ever do anything for your finances. He's more concerned with your faith than he is your feelings. He is more concerned with your faith than your fortune. He is more concerned with your faith than he is your future. You can be in the greatest shape in the world, have the most money of any man, person in the world. You can enjoy a beautiful family, a three-story mansion, drive an expensive car, you know, hold a top position in a great corporation, but without faith, you will never please God. And while this man was harping on healing, Jesus was focusing on faith. In John 4:50, the story continues. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So this man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. This man says, come to my house, lay hands on my son, heal him. And Jesus just simply says, go home, your son is healed. And he goes. That is real faith. Faith is believing that God will do what he says he will do. It's just believing and standing upon the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this man learned a very valuable lesson that would be beneficial for every one of us to learn as well. This nobleman thought believing is seeing. He said, you come to my house physically. You physically touch my son. Let me see it with my own eyes. Let me experience the miracle. Let me see the sign and I will believe in you. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. He says, nope, I'm not gonna give you my presence. I'm not even gonna show you my power, but I will give you my promise. And he says, your son is healed. So at that moment, this nobleman comes to a fork in the road. 
Am I going to believe or am I going to disbelieve? Am I going to walk by faith in this moment or am I going to continue to demand that I want to walk by sight? I want to walk by what I see. And this man took a step and he made a decision that would impact the rest of his life and not just impact him, it impacted his whole household. And he just simply says, Jesus, you said it, and I believe it. And this man learned that seeing is not believing, but rather believing is seeing. And so many people are looking for a work from God when all we really need is just his word. Oftentimes, we're looking for the power of God when all he wants us to stand on is his promise. And I want to tell you, if the word of God is not good enough for you, the works of God are not going to satisfy you either. If the word of God, the promise of God, is not enough for you, I assure you the power, the miracles, the works of God won't be either. Now, what does this man do when Jesus tells him his son is healed? We're just said he just went his way. Now, there's more to that statement. This is really, really interesting. I'm going to close with this. This man does not go home immediately. Think about that. Jesus gives you the word, go home, your son is healed. What would you do? I would go home immediately. The quickest way, quickest means possible, I want to see that my son is healed. The man doesn't do that. It says, as he's going down, his servants meet him and told him, saying, your son lives. Then the nobleman inquired of the servants and said, when did he get better? And they said to him, when, when was that? A couple of hours ago? Yesterday. That tells us he did not go home right away. Again, it made no difference to this nobleman. The time really made no difference when the boy was healed because it didn't alter his response. He simply received the promise of Jesus, go home, your son is healed, and he kind of thinks, okay, I got a few things I need to do here. I got some shopping I need to do. I, I, seriously, this is what he does. There's no, there's no sense of urgency in this, in that I gotta get home to make sure this really happened. He believed because Jesus said it, it really happened. He did not immediately go home. I mean, can you see that man walking around town, seeing some of his friends, they come up and say, what are you doing, what are you doing here? I, I, I heard about your son. Has he died? He's, oh, no, 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 he's been healed. Well, that's great. How, how do you know? Have you been home? Man says, no, no, I haven't been home. But I, I just had the promise of Jesus. Well, don't you think you ought to go home and check? I mean, I mean didn't, didn't you just like want to go immediately or get up super early in the morning to check and see? No one says no. Jesus said it, I believe it, I receive it, and he walked in it. Now, again, he's giving us a glimpse of what real faith is. 
Real faith is putting all of your eggs in God's basket. Real faith is counting your blessings before they hatch. And here's a temptation. A lot of us can sit here this morning and we can think to ourselves, not out loud, but we'll think to ourselves, I could never have that kind of faith. Do you realize you already have that kind of faith? You already possess that kind of faith. God's word says he gave each of us a measure of faith. And that measure of faith, no matter how small it may be, Jesus said, even if your faith is the size of a mustard seed, which is very, very small, Jesus said, if you've got even just that much faith, the faith, the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. What we need to learn is that faith is there. We just need to learn how to recognize it, access it, and begin to walk fully in it, to release it. There are people every day who get sick. They go see a doctor who will tell them they have a disease they can't even spell. And then they'll write them out a prescription they can't even read for a medicine they can't pronounce to take it to a druggist they don't know. And they'll go home and take it and expect to feel better in the morning, next week, next month. Man, if you can have that kind of faith in a doctor and a druggist, how much more faith can we have in the power and the person of Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand this morning. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that again, I just want to just speak this word over everyone in here. The day you became born again, the day you said yes to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God put inside each and every one of us a measure of faith. And that measure of faith this morning can move mountains. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whether it's sickness, it's disease, whether it's addiction, no matter what that mountain may look like in our lives right now, that God, you have given us faith to be able to be overcomers, to be victorious, to be healed, to be saved, to be set free, to be delivered, to be made whole to be able to walk in complete and total peace, joy, contentment, and victory. It's there. And you are here, Father, fully, completely, absolutely, totally present right now here in this moment to meet us in those places. We need no look no further. We need no look for another. It is you. And you are more than enough. You can do above and beyond all that we can think or imagine. And God, this morning, we, we want to just come holy and fully before you. 
And we simply want to say that God, regardless of whatever circumstance, situation is in our lives, that God, our response to you right now is, Lord, I believe. Even though I don't see anything, even though I don't feel anything, my declaration, my word of faith is, Lord, I believe. So, Father, we want to just step into that moment this morning. That, God, we release, we, we surrender it all to you. That like that nobleman, we, 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 just, we just go on as if it's all been done because it has. You're big enough You're more than enough, you're capable enough, you're willing enough, you're able enough, God, to do it all. So this morning, Lord, we just wanna stand and our hearts, our faith response to you this morning is regardless of what it is, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of how it feels, we are here to say, Lord, we believe. We just ask, God, that you would meet our hearts, meet us here in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.